Hey everybody, and welcome once again to Ancient Ways for Modern Days. My name is Mike Freeman, pastor at Valley Christian Fellowship in Longview, Washington. And today we're picking up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, previously we looked at chapter 4 with this, uh, this recognition that we have an eternal weight of glory waiting for us. The, the reality is that the, the momentary afflictions are their light and their their transient, the temporal, that they will pass soon, and they're preparing us for this eternal weight of glory. And and so when we get to chapter five, we can start to almost think like, okay, well, if the, the afflictions that we have and the difficulty we have, if they're so small, then, then maybe this life that we have really is, it's kind of insignificant. And you can almost get into the mindset as a believer uh, to say something like, you know, the, the life I live right now, it's really kind of not important. And really what's important is that I'm going to live forever in heaven with with the, the Lord. And so, you know, I, I kind of can just coast. I, I don't really have to press forward. I don't have to strive. I don't have to really live on purpose. And that kind of thinking is 180 degrees the opposite of what we actually should have in our mind when we think about the significance of the life we have. See, the life you live right now, it is incredibly it is of incredible significance in light of eternity. Let me show you what I mean. The Apostle Paul writes, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, he says, We all will stand before the Lord. We all stand before the Lord in judgment. He says, Therefore, knowing this fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Now, now let, let me just unravel a few things here, because the reality is we will all stand before the Lord, we will give an account, but for believers, for, for those in Christ, for those who have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the righteousness of God has been credited to your account. So when the Father looks at you, he does not see your faithlessness, he does not see your sinfulness, he does not see your rebelliousness, he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ has been given to you, credited to your account. The end of this chapter actually describes that in verse 21. And so we stand as those who who have been given the perfect righteousness of God. Now, Now, we now live this life in light of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to our account. And so it's for that reason, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The fear of the Lord is a life lived in godliness based upon who God is as perfect and who we are as rebellious sinners and what has been done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality that we have been rescued, we have been redeemed, we have been saved. We know this fear of the Lord and we know this fear of the Lord in light of others. Those who have not experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness we know that all will stand before God and give an account for what they have done, whether good or bad. And we stand as those who have been given the goodness, the good works of Christ given to our account. This is an amazing reality. But this is a, this is a, 
sobering reality when we look at our neighbor and our friend and our co-worker and our family member who has not been credited with the righteousness of Christ. He says, but what we are is known to God. What are we? We are those who have been redeemed. We are those who have been given the righteousness of God or of Christ. He says, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. What, what Paul's doing here is he's, he's recognizing this, this tension between the super apostles who they might disparage Paul and his ministry. Let's keep going. Let me show you what I mean. Says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. See, there are those who are doing ministry in the name of Christ, and they're doing this ministry with a, an, an intense emphasis on the externals. We've seen previously, chapter 4, that that Paul and his ministry partners, they're not using underhanded methods. They reject methods that are tickling people's ears. They are not entertainers. They are not hype men. They are not trying to use whatever kind of flattery or whatever kind of worldly methods that they can come up with to attract a crowd and to please their listeners' ears. Instead, they simply, they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, the the faith and repentance of sinners placed in Christ. This is what they do. But there are those who boast about the outward. There are those who would disparage Paul and say, look at this guy. This guy, is he's got nothing impressive about him. Look at us. Look at how impressive we are. Why would you listen to a guy like that when you can listen to guys like us? They've got the giant crowds. They, they are ticklers of ears. They are twisters of words. They use uh, worldly wisdom and such eloquence so they can be popular and make their ministry about themselves and their personality and their charisma and their talent instead of making their ministry about Christ crucified. Paul says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he says, when they're trying to deceive you, you, you can look at us and say, yeah, they, they don't have the bells and whistles, but they have the sincerity of heart because they preach the gospel, recognizing the fear of the Lord. They're more concerned with people coming to know Christ than people liking them. Oh, how desperately needed that is in our world today. How desperately needed it is in our world today for churches to be more concerned with people and the, the reality that they will stand before God than rather whether people like them and their pastors, whether they're entertaining or popular, whether they please the culture that surrounds them or not. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we seem like we're crazy, 
If we seem like our ministry model is is kind of wacko because we're not doing what everyone else is doing, we're not having a ministry with all the bells and whistles, we're not building the hype, we're not trying to make the show, we're not using flattery and pleasing people's ears. If if that seems crazy, it's it is for God because we we're more concerned with Him. He says, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. In those moments when we reason with you, when we logic with you, when we explain to you, when we teach you, when we preach to you, and when it makes sense, when it's logical, when it flows directly out of the, the, the revealed word of God, he says, if we seem like we're in our right mind, it's for you. So if we seem like we're crazy, it's because we're doing what God says, regardless of what people think. And if it seems like we're in our right mind, it's for your benefit. Here, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is speaking about Christ. That he's died for all. And that those who live, those who have placed their faith in Christ, those who have trusted in his death and resurrection, those who have been redeemed, rescued, ransomed, atoned for, they have been reconciled to God in Christ. They no longer live for themselves, but for Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. See, this is, this is what guides Paul's ministry. So I don't live for myself. I don't live for what I can get out of the ministry. Instead, I live for Christ. That's why I proclaim his death and resurrection. Let's bring this home. This is what every believer is called to say. It says that, that those who live, if you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, you have been made alive together with Christ. You are now one who lives you no longer are to live for yourself, for the popularity, for the cultural approval. Instead, you are to live for Christ who died and rose again. And what that looks like is, is you, knowing the fear of the Lord, you persuade others. You are compelled, controlled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ for you the love of Christ for others. You and I, we now live not with this mentality that says one day I'm going to die and go to heaven and what I do right now doesn't really matter. And no, that is not how we live. We say one day I am going to die and go to heaven. So everything I do right now, it is under the control of Christ as I live so that others might know his love. So that others might believe in his death and resurrection. Not so that others will like me or so that, other, so that others will approve of me or so that others will say, well, he's really a nice guy or what a, what a great lady. No, we want others to know that we love Christ and we are loved by Christ and we want others to know his love. This is the ancient way for our modern day.